The gospel reading this morning is from Mark chapter 14, verses 53 through 72. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, O Lord. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all of the chiefs and the elders and the scribes were assembled. Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with the guards, warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were looking for testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many gave false testimony against him, and their testimony did not agree. Some stood up and gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. But even on this point, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Have you no answer? What is it that they testify against you? But he was silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, Why do we still need witnesses? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? All of them condemned him as deserving death. Some began to spit on him, to blindfold him and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. The guards also took him over and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she stared at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I do not know or understand what you were talking about. And he went out into the forecourt, and then the cock crowed. And the servant girl, on seeing him, began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it. And then, after a little while, the bystanders said again to Peter, Certainly you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to curse, and he swore an oath, I do not know this man you are talking about. At that moment, the cock crowed for the second time. Then Peter remembered that Jesus had said to him, Before the cock crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and he wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. All right, I confess, Stacy and I are standing closer than six feet apart. It's, uh, it's great to be here. Let's, um, let me just, before, before we start, uh, just, there have been stories of encouragement this week, and I hope you're finding them. Uh, just, it's in the midst of a pandemic that is uh, dark and scary and uncertain. There are these little stories that percolate up and pop up of human beings, persons, citizens, many of you finding creative outlets to connect, finding creative ways to help your neighbor and love your neighbor. And I hope you're finding parts of those stories in your newsfeed, as well as some of the darker news that's there that we need to keep up on, but we need to see 
some of the beauty of God's image surfacing in human beings in fresh ways. So um, what, a, what a curious time we're living in. Let's, um, let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we ask that as we uh, think on this story, these really two stories of denial, that of the religious leaders denying Jesus and judging him, and, and Peter's struggle with his loyalty to Jesus, would you be with us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as we think about um, what these stories mean for us and what we can learn this day and how, how we might uh, be persons who understand the depth of your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so this morning we're looking at uh, two stories of denial that the religious established the religious establishment, right, and also uh, that of Peter who struggles with Jesus uh, in this particular moment. And as we come to the near near the end of Mark's gospel, I want to just circle back yet again to two questions that um, that I suggested we need to be thinking about all the way through our our study and story of Mark's of Mark's story of the gospel. Um, and the first is this, it's just very simply, will I be a person who opens myself up to the living Christ, right? Remember, Mark understood the resurrection when he's writing this. He, he believed that Jesus, even now, after his ascension, was present uh, to his community, that he continued to interact with our real lives and our real stories in real time, in real historical moments, such as the one we're in? Am I open to his interacting with my story? But then secondly, am I open to the kind of change that Jesus always invites us to when he interacts with us? The, the kind of change and turning that he seeks in us individually and that he seeks for our world as his kingdom comes. So let's hold on to those stories, or those questions rather, as we think about um, these two different episodes of denial. So very quickly, the first one, that of the religious leaders. Um, this is obviously an unjust trial. Uh, it is loaded with false witnesses, individuals who can't even corroborate their, their testimony against Jesus. Um, and in one sense, as I was thinking about this in the week, I thought, how can you uh, corroborate testimony against love incarnate in our world? Of course, they were confused. Of course, they were, they were searching for ways uh, to slander Jesus. Um, it, it also includes this grotesque moment in which the guards have, uh, have made Jesus, a, um, just they blindfold him and he becomes a source of play for them, right? They make sport of him, we could say. They blindfold him, they spit on him, they jeer at him and basically make fun of the fact that he's a prophet. Uh, if you're a prophet, uh, tell us who hit you. Uh, it's, a, it's a disturbing moment, and there in the middle of that uh, episode of these denials of Jesus, there is this poignant scene in which the, the high priest puts the question to Jesus, are you the Messiah? And Jesus simply says, I am. And of course, that's an echo in their ears and in our ears of Moses's prior interaction with God when he says, who shall I say is sending me? And Moses is told, tell them I am has sent you. And then Jesus goes on and he says, you will see the Son of Man seated in power coming with clouds. In other words, this is a moment in which Jesus assumes these great titles of Messiah to himself. And he essentially tells the high priest, regardless of your verdict, I will be vindicated by God. And you will see that. Now, 
I'd like to focus a little bit more of our attention on Peter's story because it's such a dramatic story and such an important one here in this section of Mark's Gospel. Remember uh, last week, in fact, we noticed that when Jesus is is telling the disciples that everyone will desert him, everyone will fall away. Remember Peter's bold response, right? As Peter so often does, he circles back to his own self, his own story, his own strengths, really. And he says, not I. Though everyone else desert you, Lord, surely not I. So there's, an, there's a sense of certainty in his conviction about who Jesus is and that he will be faithful to the bitter end. And so here we are in this moment looking at this space in which Jesus so clearly knew and understood Peter in far better ways and greater ways with greater depth than Peter understood himself. Here we are in Jesus's trial, Peter lingering on the outside, listening in, and he can't even stand up to a young servant, a young girl who begins to sort of pester him, right? That, you know, you're one of them, you know him. And Peter denies it the first time and she goes out and, and it seems to spread the word among a larger band of people. Peter again denies it. And when the larger group of people begin to associate Peter with Jesus, Peter curses and he swears an oath that, you know, I don't know what you're talking about. Mark wants us to understand the severity and the depth of Peter's insistence that he did not know Jesus. It's a dramatic scene and of course the cock crows a second time and suddenly it triggers the memory of Jesus' own words to Peter, right? Uh, um, and it, they come flooding back into his own imagination in this particular moment. In Luke's account of this, Luke adds that just then Jesus turns and sees Peter. He looks at Peter. Mark simply says that Peter breaks down and he weeps. So I want you to imagine yourself in that moment for just a moment. Just go back into that space, into the story that we just read. You're in the courtyard, you're observing this. What are the things that you feel? What are the things that you imagine Peter might have felt? Is he distancing himself from Jesus, right? In this case, socially, right? Uh, not just physically, but socially. Is he distancing himself from Jesus because he's afraid of the association? If Jesus dies, then I die. Is he ashamed of the association? How could I have gotten the Messiah so wrong and Jesus so wrong? Is he disappointed in himself in this particular moment? What are the flood of emotions that might be running through your own mind? Fear, shame, disappointment, and even anger at how the situation and your hopes and your dreams and your plans are turning out, or in this case, not turning out. I wonder, however, if this isn't one of Peter's most honest and then therefore his most hopeful moments, because he seems to become aware of himself, of those parts of his own life, his own self, that he's more inclined to overlook or more inclined to deny, not inclined to acknowledge in any kind of way. And is he in that acknowledgement even more aware of Jesus's lack of denial of him. Jesus loves Peter, Jesus talked to Peter, Jesus told truth to Peter so that Peter might know himself and more importantly that he might know just the kind of Messiah and Savior that Peter, that rather Jesus is. So Peter is known to his very core, to his, the depth of himself, 
by Jesus who doesn't deny Peter. Suffering often is a context in which you and I have a similar experience, both of ourselves and hopefully of Jesus' self. We go into those darker rooms in our own lives and our own stories, those parts of uh, us that feel fearful or anxious, even in a time like this especially. We feel maybe angry because all of the things that we had planned for our spring are not turning out or the things that you had hoped for. If you're a student that is no longer in school, uh, you're a senior graduating or in, in, from high school or even from, uh, from, from the university or graduate program, and you're not able to sort of have all of those perfect points of closure that we so expected and so anticipated. Fear, angry parts, shameful parts even, the trauma from parts of our lives, or maybe even the trauma of this present moment as we fear uh, our own illness or the illness of others. Most of us are already in places where we know friends that have COVID-19. Suffering pushes us into acknowledging that we are limited and that we are persons that struggle. This past week, I listened to the Veritas Forum. Some of you perhaps turned into, tuned into it as well, and the topic was COVID-19 and how it has up, upended much of our lives in so many ways. And it's pushing us into spaces of new creativity, but also fear and uncertainty. Uh, David Brooks was one of the panelists, uh, and he quoted in that the, the theologian Paul Tillich, and particularly his views on how suffering changes us and pushes us toward growth, maybe even pushes us to acknowledge things about ourselves that we weren't even aware of. Listen to what he says. Suffering introduces you to yourself and it reminds you that you're not the person you thought you were. It reminds you that you're not the person you thought you were. It carves through the floor of what you thought was the basement of your soul and it reveals a new cavity. And then it carves through that floor and reveals yet another cavity. And then that floor and reveals yet another cavity. In other words, you are not your plans and your hopes and your dreams. You are far greater and far more than that. We are more than that, at least we hope we can be. And then Brooks added that the only thing that can fuel growth of the soul and the person is a spiritual food and not a material one. I think something like that is happening for Peter here in this particular moment in his own life the floor of his soul is smashed through. It is, he isn't who he thought he was. And Jesus, more importantly, isn't who Peter thought he was. Jesus is more. Jesus is greater. All of Peter's ideals and his plans of himself, all of the posturing that we see throughout the gospel accounts of how Peter interacted and related, that sense of sort of bravado inside of Peter, he's greater than that bravado, something deeper than that bravado. His views of the Messiah, his hopes and expectations for who Jesus was or who he ought to be, all of those things in this particular moment come crashing down in the presence of the real Jesus who knows Peter to his very bottom and yet loves him. And so it's a profoundly hopeful moment because it's in this space that Peter is opened up, right, to the redemptive story of what God is doing in the world thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Following the resurrection, you'll remember that John gives an account, a beautiful account of Peter's restoration. 
They're at breakfast on the beach where Jesus asks Peter three times, right? Pressing in deeply into that wound of denial, he asks, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter responds with, I love. And on the third time, John tells us that he was full of grief and anxiety. And he says, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. It's a moment of tremendous healing and restoration as Peter is brought back full-orbed into his calling to become a person who feeds the sheep, who serves the community of Christ. But I want you to remember that that story of Peter's healing and his redemption, it begins with the story of his wound. And it begins with the moment of his denial unto tears. It's a beautiful moment. And it's the same for us as God breaks through the floor of our soul and we see that there's something more that we need to look at inside of our own stories that we need to invite the healing presence of Jesus to. So here we are struggling in our space of suffering and longing and grief, the, soul of our, the floor rather of our soul being smashed through to some new space below. And so I invite you once again to circle back to those two first questions, right? Am I open to Jesus who is risen from the grave and who is present to my life by his spirit? Am I open to his engagement with my story? The good parts, the creative parts, the beautiful parts, the parts that are failure, the parts that we struggle with, the parts of fear and anger and resentment and frustration, the parts that are scared of a virus. Am I open to Jesus' presence to all of these things inside of my life? And am I open to the change that his presence brings, praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? I want to close with a, uh, just a simple prayer from a book that I've been reading. It's called Centering Prayers by Peter Traben Haas. And this is a prayer that uh, reminds us to reach out for redeeming grace, which is something that we need to do in this season. Light of the world, dark emotions arising in reaction to difficulties in life reveal that my inner landscape is full of towns still in need of receiving your healing warmth. Aware of my need for help, I reach out to receive your redeeming grace. May God give us grace to do that indeed. Amen.